2021 was the 700th anniversary of Dante's Divine Comedy, a big year, not least for myself, publishing Dante's Divine Comedy, a guide for the spiritual journey. And so right at the beginning of 2022, just before it closes, I'm delighted to get to the Ashmolean Museum to see the exhibition that it has held commemorating Dante and his great work. The exhibition is subtitled The Invention of Celebrity, which is a bit ambivalent in my mind because Dante has quite fierce things to say about what we might call celebrity in the Inferno when he meets a gaggle of fellow Florentines who are rather obsessed with who he is as a notable individual and have become confused about divine glory and their own personal glory. But I guess it's a good hook for the 20th century to get us into Dante and try to make him accessible. And that is continued with the exhibition taking us straight to the beginning of the Divine Comedy, where in the dark wood Dante realises he's gone astray midway through the course of our life. With a book of the first canto illustrated by Dali's wonderful opening scene, Dali said that he didn't read the Divine Comedy but dreamt it. And his illustrations, which are complete, show something of that sense of distance as well as connection with the Divine Comedy. Dante is shown in this first illustration as if in the desert, looking towards a little hillock with some trees on it. The desert being another evocation of lostness. Dolly's sand is marked by two parallel lines reaching together at an infinity, creating a sense of the unknown stretching out before this isolated Dante figure, and also evoking a modern sense of a road, rather than a twisting and gnarled pathway in a woods, which perhaps is how alienation in the 21st century is more likely to be experienced. Dante and Virgil move from the dark forest through the gates of hell and begin the descent through the various circles of hell and this is shown in the rather wonderful silent movie of 1911 L'Inferno by Francesco Bertolini which presents tableaus of the various encounters with Dante looking very much like the Florentine poet. It's slightly humorous to the modern eye but the special effects are keenly meant and there's also something of a haunting nightmarish quality as these tableau unfoldings of Dante's very visual evocation of hell with its stink with its fire with its tortured souls with its frozen lakes is presented in the film, taking you right to the floor of hell and Lucifer, frozen, almost solid. There are a number of the famous illustrators to the Divine Comedy represented in the exhibition as well, which is always exciting to see them in originals. Doré is present in the first of the three 
books that he published illustrating the three canticles of the Divine Comedy. He published the Inferno first, self-publishing it in fact, because publishers weren't convinced it would sell well, but his tremendously gothic, dark portrayals were an instant bestseller. And so he went on to publish his illustrations to the Purgatory and the Paradise as well. The book in the exhibition is open at the page showing Virgil and Dante looking at Bertrand de Bourne, the headless figure in Malabolge, who carries his head as a lantern. He can only see by his own light, by his own eyes, that is the darkness of this particular region of reality. And it's a good illustration to have because it captures a lot, I think, of what the Inferno is about. That these are people who have become trapped in lives only on repeat, unable to expand, unable to detect anything but their own light, which is the only light that they trust, and try to weave lives of manipulation or possession as a result. It's a good bulger to focus on the key meaning of the Inferno, one where Dante too reaches low points of literalism and fundamentalism and therefore the schismatic, aggressive, weaponized approach to life that he feels with full ferocity in this bulger. And so Dory has depicted Dante looking down, weighed down by the dread that such a narrow approach to life produces in its aftermath, cut off from all sources of life and meaning. We also see another scene from Malabolgia, which is Botticelli's wonderful cartoon illustration, shown in facsimility, just lacking slightly the life that you get when you see Botticelli in the original, but nonetheless this is his coloured depiction of Virgil and Dante walking through the first of the Bolgia, where they meet pimps and flatterers, one group being hounded by demons, another group wading through the excrement of their own manipulative language, and Geryon, the figure of fraud, the creature with a smiling face and a sting in its tail, is shown on one side of the picture, and then the bottom right-hand corner of the picture, Dante and Virgil, are depicted moving on through further bulger. This part of the Inferno, very much like a kind of map of the human psyche, which Dante and Virgil are walking both as figures, but also imaginatively and psychologically, taking them into the lower regions. There are contemporary illustrators too, and I particularly like The Fraudsters by Rachel Owen. This shows the moment where Virgil and Dante see souls trapped in flames, and in particular the souls of Ulysses and Diomedes. And the illustrations caught that sense that at first it looks slightly beautiful, this sight of the dancing flames. Dante describes them like fireflies at the dusk, and then realises that the experience of these buzzing flames is actually more like mosquitoes that would torment you. And as 
Dante and Virgil talk with Ulysses and Diomedes, they realise that the light of their passion for life had actually trapped them, and so become like a burning flame. That mix of seeming appeal, the dazzle, that can turn into a frustration and then a torment is caught wonderfully in Rachel Owen's illustration entitled Fraudsters. One of the USPs of this particular exhibition is that Dante has been engaged with by an AI, the robot artist known as Ada, after Ada Lovelace, and two of the robot's productions are on display. The first thing that strikes me about them is that their manner of framing is as much interesting as the images themselves. They're suspended as if on fake parchment between wooden frames. And maybe that's a reflection of the framing of these works coming as they do from the hand of an AI rather than a human hand. The parchments that are gripped in this way show quite simple images basically of blotch versions of Dante and Beatrice's faces with what looked like oil painting with what looked like flames around them. It's rather simple. Perhaps that was a good choice of the AI. The faces in outline with a nice use of colours. Um, but not much context here. They're against grey backgrounds which aren't painted. Maybe that says something about an AI's capability, that it can show a flat surface and that the Divine Comedy is about human figures. It can work that out, notably Dante and Beatrice, but the background, the context, all the nuance that comes through in the poetry is more or less left blank in Ada's representation. I think we need a little more of the human to understand the Divine Comedy, as Dante himself was absolutely clear. This is about bringing all that we are, our desire and our intelligence, as well as our calculation, to find the way back to the Divine and become more conscious of it. The illustrations of John Flaxman are present as well. The 18th century drawer who used simple lines and clearly demarcated figures to tell the story. The book is open at Flaxman's illustration to Paolo and Francesca, mutually seducing each other one day when they were reading the romance and it simply depicts how their interest in the story is turning to their interest in each other and how the erotic ideals of the story are on the cusp of obsessing them and possessing them, which leads them to the whirlwind of lust that they find themselves in the inferno, having fallen in love with love, rather than being able to see where love might lead.
the whirlwinds are presented alongside in one of William Blake's wonderful illustrations. This black and white version which shows Virgil looking on, Dante having collapsed in fact, as he sees Paolo and Francesca caught for seeming eternity in the whirlwinds of love. My guess is that Dante understood that risk. He too felt possessed by love and at this moment is in the struggle to realise how love can be an expansive force in our lives rather than be one that traps us with infatuation, with the need to satisfy desire quickly and speedily rather than have the discernment to see how it can lead to more and more. Blake in his illustration, actually keeps that hope alive even in this infernal scene with the sun disc that he places above Virgil that shows the figures of lovers in a more paradisal state. Blake always convinced that no matter how dark things get in life, it's always possible to see the light and to follow it. The moment that Dante wakes to the power of love when he sees Beatrice on the streets of Florence, is caught in Henry Holiday's wonderful, colourful image of Dante on a bridge over the Arno and seeing the three lovely ladies walking by. It shows Henry Holiday's image reproduced as postcards from the early 20th century. I guess a postcard you might have picked up in Florence in order to show your fellows and friends back home that you too had felt some of the enchantment of the place. But maybe also with that sense that Florence is there to awaken deeper beauty within you, not make you want to stay captivated by, it's no doubt tremendous, but nonetheless, this worldly limited views. In a way, Dante was saved from the enchantment of human love because Beatrice dies young and forces him to make something of a love that humanly speaking will remain unrequited and that's captured in Dante Gabriel Rossetti's image of the death of Beatrice which shows her human beauty on the cusp of passing away which is what Beatrice tells Dante he needed to realise and so to understand that her light was just a reflection and a refraction of the heavenly light and that the pleasure he found in her physical body was but an echo of the everlasting delights he might know in the divine presence. The death of Beatrice seeming a tragedy for Dante in his earthly life but actually a crucial part of the tragic being able to be transformed into the comedic, into the possibility of life ending in delight for all the loss and trouble on the way. That trouble is transformed as Virgil and Dante begin the climb up Mount Purgatory and that is represented by some of the images shown produced by Monica Beisner my favourite contemporary illustrator to the Divine Comedy. It's rather wonderful to see some of her works reproduced because they're in a private collection and so are rather limited in terms of public access. Monica Beisner's images are full of colour 
even the infernal three shown here in the exhibition, which include those right, the highest part of the inferno, those who are wandering around not knowing what earth life's about at all, just on the inside of the gates of hell, and the descent to the lower part of hell on the back of Gerion, the creature with the human face and sting in its tail, and then the third on show is Lucifer with his three heads frozen in the lake. Even these three carry vivid colour. It's as if Monica Beisner knows that for anything to have being at all means it must have something of divine life, even if it's become deeply twisted and perverted. Lucifer, for example, is frozen in the lake, but even the lake looks a rather beautiful aqua marine colour, as if the water of life can never fully lose its vital qualities, even in such a dark and twisted place. Monica Beisner's images have a simplicity, but a simplicity born of a direct sense of what Dante is communicating in her meditative approach to her art. She enters the various parts of the Inferno, of the Purgatorio and the Paradiso, as Dante invites us to do, and so produces her images, the three which are showing from the regions of Purgatory, show, first of all, the angel arriving on the boat with souls who have just died, wondering what on earth is going to happen to them next. They are saved, but they've still got everything to do up Mount Purgatory. It's an absolutely gorgeous image with the white angel set against a dark green-blue sea and the souls huddling together in the boat. Lots of promise on the horizon with the dawn just about to appear, but uncertainty too in this blue hour before the dawn. The second image on show is her depiction of those on the first terrace of Mount Purgatory, weighed down by their pride, and so carrying huge rocks on their back, and Dante leaning down to talk to them, and learning that they must carry their pride because it's also got the seeds of their dignity mixed up with the vain glory. So they must understand themselves and purge that which prevents them from seeing more and more of life. The opposite of those in the inferno who can only see less and less of life. So preoccupied have they become with themselves. And then the third purgatorial image is Monica Beisner's illustration of the earthly Eden at the top of Mount Purgatory. Where the blue now reaches up to infinity. It's a different kind of darkness. It's the darkness of light about to be revealed as Virgil and Dante stand beneath the supernatural trees of Mount Purgatory who are feeding directly from the divine life, not having to draw vitality from the earth. And Monica Beisner captures this Edenic scene at the moment where Dante is about to transhumanize and so lift off into the paradise, which he does in three further images of Monica Beisner's. They are painted in reds and yellows and golds and oranges, full of circles and archetypal colours, and show the very different sense of Dante in the Paradiso, 
the most difficult part of the journey, he says, the journey where he really learns what reality is about and how everything is a reflection of the one light. Even his own life, even Beatrice's light is part of the divine. And the excitement of that is captured in Monica Bison's images, partly in the way that Dante and Beatrice fly through the air, partly in the sense of revelation that these shapes and colours show. And that's also illustrated in the wonderful image from Paradiso 15 of Botticelli, which is on display alongside Botticelli captures, I think, his own keen delight in the Divine Comedy with these incredible line drawings, so fine that the vitality feels like it's dancing right on the page in front of you. The way that Botticelli captures the line of sight of Dante and Beatrice, the way that the vitality of the flames around them is shown the way that Beatrice points and titrates deeper meaning into Dante's mind as Dante struggles to keep growing, keep expanding, not be attempted to reach for any lesser satisfaction than the divine vision itself. These Botticelli images are surely part of Botticelli's own contemplation of what Dante was trying to convey and showing that he understood it fully and so was able to translate it into his own medium. These wonderful, fine drawings, very lines of which speak of the dynamism that Dante sees at the culmination of his great poem. One of the modern depictions of purgatory is Jeff McEwan's the earthly paradise, which shows the heaven Eden from above, as if looking down from heaven onto Mount Purgatory, a site that Dante says he has in paradise. It's very simple. It shows the blue sea and then the highest terrace of Mount Purgatory with its flames that address the complexities of love. And then shows very simply the Garden of Eden in a light, almost lime green. I wonder about its simplicity. It seems to contrast markedly with Botticelli's simplicity. Botticelli seems to know deeply about what he draws, where maybe this image suggests not knowing quite what is being looked at, knowing it has something the circles are jagged, the flames seem a little unfocused, unlike the flames on the terrace that Dante encounters and the vitality of the forest in the earthly Eden seems a little amorphous as well, as if it's not quite sure what this life is about. I don't know, maybe a reflection that a lot of people find when they read the Divine Comedy, they kind of understand the Inferno but they're not sure about the purgatory and really become quite confused by the paradise. Is this shown in this image of Jeff McEwan's The Earthly Paradise? The unity of vision, which Dante knows 
at the end of his journey is shown in John Flaxman's wonderful final illustration to Canto 33 of the Paradiso, the concentric rings of light that speak to Dante of what Christians call the Holy Trinity and then the image of the human right at the heart of that divine sight. And I think this abstract image is actually one of the best that captures the non-dual perception of things that Dante finally is able to embrace and know in the deepest parts of himself because he knows that the deepest parts of himself are within the deepest parts of the divine light. Dante himself says that his words must break down and fail in order that around the edge of his words, in the gaps that his failure creates, the light which is beyond words, because it's the source of words, can be known and experienced. And Flaxman captures that in his abstraction, that regular images, regular representations are on the edge of falling away here, in order that the effulgence of the divine source of all representations, of all reflections, of all images, can be seen within, around, through, beyond, before, ahead of us all. Dante's earthly life brings the exhibition to its conclusion. We have death masks of Dante and we have Rodin's images of Dante, now known as the thinker. We also have how Dante has been used to sell everything from olive oil to typewriters. And also a nice touch is reflections on the myth that Dante came to Oxford, came past the Ashmolean Museum, of course. It's no doubt a myth but Dante before Oxford Scholars, presented by Max Beer Bohm in this wonderful cartoon in which he shows the ivory towers, the dreaming spires, and Dante speaking to dons and other figures on an Oxford street. He towers above them all with his famously grumpy iconography, now thought actually to be a fabrication after his life, but nonetheless telling us immediately this is Dante with his cloth cap on as well, and he is like a genius whom the figures of Oxford can only look up to and hope to capture something of his wisdom and capacity to reflect on the meaningfulness of life found as he shows it in the Divine Comedy by entering into that which life presents you moment by moment, love by love, and learning how to follow that thread. It takes you to dark places as you learn of its resilience. It takes you to difficult places as it clarifies, but it takes you to tremendous places as the significance of life and light becomes clearer and clearer until we all reach the point where we realize that our life and God's life is one life.